Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Damon McIntyre, who's a second-year resident at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. Damon's originally from Charlottesville, Virginia. He completed college and medical school at Brown through a combined program called the Program in Liberal Medical Education. He's interested in gender confirmation surgery, craniofacial trauma, diversity, and inclusion. Damon, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. So I'd love to start by hearing kind of the big picture overview about your program. Fantastic. So at Brown, we have a six-year integrated program with two residents per year. You start off majority on general surgery. So as an intern, you do about nine months of general surgery with three months of plastic surgery. As a two, you do four months of general surgery with eight months of plastic surgery. And then as a three onwards, you're on plastic surgery full time, which is, which is very fun for us. And what's the experience like when you're on some of those non-plastics rotations? I think it's really great. At Brown, plastic surgery is its own department aside from general surgery, which I think is a really strong point of our program. But what that also means is that we get to really be equals uh, when we're rotating on general surgery services. I think in general, the general surgery department here really values uh, the contribution of the plastic surgery residents on uh, general surgery rotations, which is really great. You know, some rotations are more operative than others, but in general, on those uh, off-service rotations, you're treated as one of the residents. You go to the OR when you have opportunities. You take call. You know, you you basically function as a resident on whatever service is there, which I think is a really uh, valuable experience, and you're really important and part of the team. And what are some of the different hospitals or sites you rotate through? So the main hospital that we are based at is Rhode Island Hospital, which is uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, is one of the busiest trauma centers in the country, which is really great. We also rotate at uh, the Hasbro Children's Hospital, which is the, the largest children's hospital for this area. There's the Miriam Hospital, which is a community hospital in Providence. There's a VA in Providence that we rotate through as well. And then we recently added a rotation at uh, Newport Hospital, which is in Newport, Rhode Island, which is about a 45-minute drive from Providence itself. In addition to that, we have a couple um, aesthetic attendings who operate our private operatories around uh, Providence and kind of the surrounding area. So we work with them as well. Where do you spend most of your time in the earlier years versus the later years? So earlier on, uh, the vast majority of your time is spent at Rhode Island Hospital. So especially on general surgery, I would say probably at least 75% of your time is at Rhode Island Hospital. You do a couple rotations at the Children's Hospital and then a rotation at that community hospital in the VA, like I talked about. And then as you go more into plastic surgery, you'll split your time roughly equally between Rhode Island Hospital and the Miriam Hospital, which is that community center. So for Rhode Island Hospital is where we do all of our trauma reconstruction and a lot of those bigger cases. But especially as you become more and more operative, as you go through the years, you'll spend a lot of time at the Miriam, which is where we do a lot of our kind of bread and butter, plastic surgery, um, and a lot of hand as well. And are there any independent residents or fellows at your program? So there aren't any independent residents at this time, and there also aren't fellows. Um, I think that that's actually a huge boon to our program. I know it was something that I really looked at when I was a medical student. 
It means that in every case, you are the resident. There's very rarely double scrubbing, so that remains true. And so you're never going to have cases stolen from you by a fellow. And, you know, even for, you know, super interesting index cases, it's, it's you. And what are the research expectations like? So there aren't hard and fast research expectations. Generally speaking, the attendings and the, the faculty here at Brown really encourage people to get involved in research. And there are a lot of research opportunities. But there isn't, you know, a hard set quota like, you know, you have to publish so many papers while you're here per year, blah, blah, blah. They just want you to really be involved. There's a lot of support for research if you are interested in that. We have research meetings every month where everybody uh, puts their head together, faculty and residents, to talk about the projects that are ongoing or projects that are interested in starting to recruit people to the cause. We have a dedicated 3D printing lab, which the plastic surgery department owns and runs, which has been a, a big font of research initiatives over the past couple of years, which has been really great. We have a wet lab that our chair of the department, Dr. Paul Liu, runs. And then we have, like I kind of when I alluded to earlier, we're one of the busiest trauma centers in the country. So we have a really robust trauma database that we are able to use to run a lot of retrospective studies. Like what kind of things have been done with the 3D printing lab? I've been involved in a couple of things. And there's a, a recent medical student actually who just matched this past year uh, who did a lot with it. So a couple of the things that we've done that I would say of note, the, the big thing I was involved in is we were able to take a guy's a really interesting case who had had a hemirhinectomy. So half of his nose was removed. We have a, a 3D camera, actually. So we were able to take a 3D picture of his face and then basically flip the remaining side of his nose and 3D print that as a uh, flexible silicon model that we were able to sterilize and bring into the operating room. So we were ultimately reconstructing the, the defect with a forehead flap. So as we raised the flap, we were actually able to essentially flatten down this 3D printed mold that we had made and use that as the cutting guide for the end of the flap. Um, so it saved a lot of time and then ultimately was a, an actual uh, perfect mirror image of the other side, which is pretty cool. We've done, let's see, suture guides for medical students. We made a model of uh, flexor tendons that we're allowing the residents to cut, you know, wherever they want and then learn how to do flexor tendon repairs. So lots of surgical simulation and modeling. And then also the, the goal is to move more towards into bringing these models into the operating room to uh, help with surgical planning. And what kind of support is available once you're ready to present your research? Our, our chairman, Dr. Liu, is really, really supportive of any type of research. So for all residents and actually for medical students, if you get a paper or an, or an abstract accepted at a conference, either for a poster or a podium presentation, your trip is paid for. End of sentence. So that's a, a huge boon to us as residents. You know, it really alleviates any of those concerns about how many times can I really present in a year. So that's, that's really huge. And it's really fun because it means that a lot of our residents get to go to these different conferences, or I guess in the before times when conferences actually happened. And so we always get to have a, a strong showing and we get to really represent Brown. That's really generous for medical students too. It was huge for me as a medical student. I ended up going to a few and it really was a concern for me, um, you know, especially as a medical student when you have no income. And so that was, that was huge for me. And it, it frankly was a big factor in me wanting to stay 
at Brown after medical school because I kind of knew the kind of family caring atmosphere that was here. And so that really felt like home for me. So what is call like across the years? Call is busy. So, you know, we're a really, really busy trauma center. So we take general plastics call seven days a week, 365 days a year. So a lot of that is helping with wound coverage after, you know, surgical site infections or things like that. We have a really strong relationship with the neurosurgery program here, which really is very busy for spinal surgery. So we help them a lot with closures of their surgical sites. And then anytime that they have any uh, surgical site breakdowns, we'll help come in and help with coverage as well. So that's frankly quite a big component, especially recently. We take hand call Tuesday, Thursday, and then every other Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we split that with uh, orthopedic surgery. So that can be pretty busy. In the summer, we see a lot of people working outside that end up, you know, either with run-of-the-mill lacerations or, you know, amputations that require replants. And then in the winter, something that is somewhat unique to the Northeast, we have a lot of snowblower injuries. We actually see a lot of amputations that require replants in the winter as well. And then we take face call Monday, Wednesday, and every other Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we split with uh, ENT. Um, and I think that's probably the busiest one. So Providence, for those who don't know, is right off of I-95, which again, for those who don't know, is a really large highway that goes basically north-south down the East Coast. And it's truly right off of that. So we see a lot of high-speed motor vehicle collisions with pretty complex facial fractures. You know, it's not uncommon to see, you know, several Laforts, um, you know, a pan face, you know, on any given call shift. So we see a lot of craniofacial trauma. So, you know, it's busy. You take call, generally speaking, on average, probably two to three times per week. And that's including weekends. So you take every other weekend, essentially. It's busy, but I think it's fair. And what's the mid-level support like? So we have a PA who helps out with uh, floor duties during the week. We don't have a mid-level that takes call overnight or on the weekends, but he helps out to kind of lighten that burden and even allow the, the younger residents to get into the OR when we have particularly busy operative days. And what area of plastic surgery would you say you come out with the strongest experience in at graduation? I think both hand and craniofacial trauma, I think anybody that comes out of this program would be immediately ready to take call basically anywhere in the country, um, which I think is, is frankly pretty huge as someone trying to start their practice. In addition to that, we you know really just crank out a ton of that kind of general breast and body plastic surgery, which again, you know, as a younger resident is kind of the thing that I really do feel comfortable doing. So that's pretty awesome. And then I think as compared to a lot of other programs, we have a pretty robust aesthetic experience. We have a dedicated facial plastic surgeon who does a lot of cosmetic facial surgery. And then we have body contouring and then again, kind of general breast and body cosmetic plastic surgery. So I think that that's an area that our program is particularly strong. To go into that a little bit more, is the cosmetic experience concentrated in certain months or is it spread pretty evenly? We have dedicated rotations with two aesthetic plastic surgeons right now. We're adding on another. So as a PGY four and six, you'll rotate with the facial aesthetic surgeon. So you have dedicated time with him. I think probably you'll be more operative as a six just because, you know, your skills have improved, your knowledge of anatomy has improved, but you get to see some of those as four as well. And then we have a kind of breast and body guy who you rotate with, I believe as a 
four and five. With the kind of breast and body cosmetic guy, it's a month or two with him kind of as you can. With our facial aesthetic surgeon, our rotations are three months at a time. So it would be three months um, with him. And is there like a chief resident clinic? So there is a uh, chief cosmetic clinic. So they're able to do a lot of, you know, kind of your general like Botox and fillers on general clinic days, but then they also do operative cases. We offer the broad scope of plastic surgery. They've done everything from your general like breast reductions, abdominoplasties, but you know, they've also done like facelifts and some pretty cool stuff. And is that throughout your whole chief year or earlier at all, or just certain months? So it's throughout the whole chief year, obviously with COVID, things have kind of slowed down a little bit, but um, generally speaking, it's a pretty busy clinic. And are there any other times where you get to like choose an elective either at your program or an opportunity to go away? Definitely. So you have off-service rotations as a one, two, three. So as a one, you rotate through the emergency department and the surgical ICU as kind of your away or elective rotations. They're chosen for you at that time. As a two, you rotate with ophthalmology, oral maxillofacial surgery, and dermatology. As a three, you rotate with ortho and ENT. And then as a four, five, and six, your electives are open to whatever you'd like to do. So we have a lot of residents do electives at other institutions in the United States. But we also have people do international electives. We just had one of our uh, current PGY4s go last year to India and, you know, really crank out cleft lifts and pallets for about a month, which is a really rewarding experience for him. And is that one or two months a year during your four, five, and six? Yeah, it's, so it's four weeks at a time each year. And I think that that's actually a really huge boon to our program. A lot of our residents end up matching for fellowships at places that they rotated through as a resident. So I think that's a really important part of what we do here. Are there any opportunities for shorter term global experiences? Not built into the program. I mean, you can use your elective time as you want. You don't have to take it in one four week block. So if you wanted to do, you know, a week or two and then go somewhere else, you know, go to Chengang for two weeks and then, you know, go to South America or India, wherever it be. I don't think that that would be an issue. We just have a really strong connection with a particular hospital in India where a lot of our residents have gone. What about gender confirmation surgery? Our microsurgeon has somehow fallen into being uh, pretty busy in the world of gender confirmation surgery. So he's Dr. Daniel Kwan. So I have actually gotten to do a couple of male to female bottom surgery, so vaginoplasties in the past couple of weeks with him. He does a lot of top surgery that the residents are really um, heavily involved in. And then we have a really good relationship with the urology department at Brown. And so they have a new attending who's interested in starting a phalloplasty practice as well. So our hope is to get that off the ground within this year, honestly. And is moonlighting possible? It's not. And how would you improve your program? I think that the one thing that I would love to see more of and that we're working on doing more of is microsurgery. So a lot of our residents go on to do microsurgery fellowships after this residency. They, you know, they do some really awesome ones, but I think that that's an area that if that's something that they're interested in, they really want a little bit more exposure. You'll definitely get your numbers here. We do some cool things, but that's something that I personally would love to see more of. And are there any other perks you wanted to share about your program? We get our loops paid for, which is great. You get step three paid for both the test and um, any study materials that you want. 
You also get money for each call shift that you do, both on general surgery and plastic surgery. So most of the year, you can pretty much just eat in the hospital cafeteria for free. You know, it's really nice. It's not going to make or break a program, but it is a nice little boon. And the cafeteria food's pretty good? I would say pre-COVID, it was actually very good. In COVID times, they've had to really scale it back. So it's not been as fun kind of in the past couple of months. But one of our like hospital claims to fame is the community hospital cafeteria was actually really highly rated on Yelp. Um, and people would actually come to the hospital go to go to the cafeteria, which I think is wild. I mean, it's pretty good. But I don't know if it's that good. So I'd like to transition to hear more about your program leadership. So you could start with your chair, Dr. Liu. As I said, our chair of our department is Dr. Paul Liu. He's really heavily involved in wound healing is his particular interest. So he takes care of a lot of like sacral decubitus ulcers with like transposition flaps of the buttocks. And that's his uh, wet lab interest as well. You know, he does a lot of kind of like general plastic surgery, but that's his particular interest. And as a personal shout out, he's a wonderful man. He is just the best. He was really supportive to me as a medical student. And again, that was kind of one of the big things that brought me to this program. How about your program director? So our program director is Dr. Carl Brewing, another like truly wonderful human being. He does a lot of general plastic surgery, cancer reconstruction, breast reduction, those kinds of things. I think he is, again, a huge reason why I wanted to stay here. He is incredibly receptive to the residents. He is such a kind and thoughtful person, kind of as a, a personal anecdote. Right when COVID was starting up, he went out to a CVS and bought every single resident a pulse ox and a thermometer so that everybody at home could make sure that they were monitoring their symptoms and you know what they needed to know. And I think that's just kind of speaks to the kind of person that he is, that he's always thinking about us. Halfway through, he also sent every single resident one of those bands that you can like clip your mask onto to offload your ears because he was worried about us wearing masks all the time. So he's just a wonderful guy. Could you tell me about a time when you or another resident brought up a concern or an issue to the program leadership and how they responded? So one of these happened relatively recently. So kind of like I was saying, we have this really good working relationship with the neurosurgery department, which gets us involved in a lot of closing a lot of their complex back wounds. This was actually getting to the point where it was one of the main things that we were doing, and especially later in the like afternoon to evening. And we brought this up to the program leadership saying, you know, after you've done, you know, like 10 or 15 of these, there is a, a pretty diminishing return on how much each case is going to teach you. We said, you know, is there a way that we could focus on different surgeries, you know, during the day, or if it's after, you know, a certain time, you know, focus on our research or even just, you know, like having a, a work-life balance. And so what that came out of that is after 5 p.m., residents don't cover those cases. And so that was, I mean, a really quick turnaround. They were like, yep, that's reasonable. They're done. So it sounds like they're pretty receptive. And then are there any other examples of how like residents play a role in department decision-making? So whether that's in terms of choosing new residents or changes to the department? In terms of choosing new residents, I think the only people that have a actual vote are the chief residents, but they are kind of the voice of the residents and the residency. The residents are pretty closely involved in all of the department decisions. We have a sit down with Dr. Liu. We talk through all of the new things in the department. We always give our voice. And generally speaking, the outcomes are basically what we wanted. I'm on our portion of the Diversity Inclusion Action Plan Committee. So there are two resident members and like three faculty members. So, you know, we have very similar voices and voting power. 
Now, could you tell me a bit more about the relationships amongst the residents? So, especially in, in pre-COVID time, COVID has really kind of messed with some of the social dynamics. But, you know, it's really, it's really a family. We really watch out for each other. We're really involved. You know, one of our, our residents just had twins. And, you know, this is during COVID. So we all went by and, like, waved from our cars and got to see them from the window, which is really fun. We really like to be with each other. We they, we have a great polo team in Newport, which is something that I learned. So we go to polo matches. We have poolside cookouts. We have Friendsgiving every year. I love my co-residents. I hang out with them all the time. I would love to see them more, but now we have to social distance. So, you know, that makes things a little bit more complicated. But yeah, you know, it's a really friendly, caring community of people that really care about each other. I think that's personally and professionally. I think one of the things that really struck me, especially as an intern, I remember I was on one really busy call shift. You know, it was, you know, 4 or 5 p.m., you know, and I got a call about this lady with a really, really complex, like 20 centimeter fat facial laceration. And so, you know, I'm stuck down in the ED. And I remember, you know, my phone buzzing in my pocket while I'm, you know, essentially sterile, so I couldn't do anything. And two of the senior residents were trying to figure out what I was doing. And they eventually went through the ED list, figured that's probably who what he's doing and came down to help me. They were done operating for the day. They could have just gone home. It's that kind of communal family feel that they think, you know, why not help somebody so we can all, you know, do better. And that's, I think that permeates pretty much every aspect of our program. So now a little bit more about how residents live in Providence. So do most own or rent? It's probably about 50-50. I think probably the majority of the younger residents rent in Providence. And then the majority of the older residents either own in Providence or in one of the, you know, suburbs that are right nearby. Providence is, for those who don't know, the Northeast is pretty cheap for New England, but it's definitely more expensive than, you know, some of the places that I interviewed in the Midwest or the Southeast or things like that. But our residents tend to live uh, pretty well, I think, at least. Are those mostly houses or apartments? So most people that own live in houses and then most people that rent live in apartments. So I, for instance, live in an apartment in downtown Providence on like one of the busier streets. And, you know, it's a it's a smaller apartment, but, you know, I only live here a portion of the time. So it does what I need. And where do residents live in relation to the sites you work at? So I think most of the residents live pretty close to the main hospital, Rhode Island Hospital. So Rhode Island Hospital is kind of near to downtown Providence. At least I live downtown. So my actual co-resident lives on the east side of Providence, which is, you know, like a five-minute walk from the hospital. So most of us live kind of around this area. And is it necessary to have a car? For residency, probably yes. You take call at Rhode Island Hospital as a junior resident. So that's really the only one you have to get to. That being said, you can definitely walk. One of my good friends is a urology resident who lives in an apartment building, like very close to the hospital and does actually walk. I live probably a 10-minute walk, which I could definitely do. But when you get that, like, 3 a.m. call to go sew somebody up, like, I don't want to walk back and forth. So Providence is a very walkable city, but having a car makes life a little bit better. Are most residents single, married, kids? I would say the majority of residents are probably in some form of relationship. Probably about half are married, and one of our chiefs just had twins. I think, you know, we all have pretty good relationships with our co-resident significant others. I think they're actually, they're a lot of fun. It's really great to hang out with them. 
I don't think that even the the resident, the chief resident who has twins, you know, I see him by himself outside of the hospital with relative frequency, which is really fun. And I also love his kids. So it's pretty great to see them as well. And what else do you like about living in Providence? You know, I think it's a really affordable city, which is something that I think can't really be overlooked. I think that even on a resident salary, you can live pretty well. We have a relatively prestigious culinary school here in Providence, and a lot of the graduates end up staying. So we actually have fantastic food. You know, we get write-ups in the New York Times with relative frequency. So if you're into food culture, that's a huge boon. I think one of the other big things kind of harping off of that is that there's a ton of institutions here that are great about collaboration. So as a medical student, I did a collaboration with that culinary school about teaching medical professionals how to cook so they could teach their patients. We also have the Rhode Island School of Design here in Providence, which is a literal world-class art institution. So we just started a collaboration with them about teaching residents what we call critical visual literacy, essentially how drawing and artistry can influence your idea of how you see the world. And so, again, that's another collaboration that was actually very easy to take off of the ground because there's just that idea and kind of institution of collaboration in the city. So I think that that's really worth it. And then the other thing is it's like 20 minutes to the beach. So I keep all of my beach stuff in my car. And if I ever get out of the hospital at a, at a reasonable time, I'll just go straight to the beach. It's never something that I was like, oh, this is like a make or break it for me, but it's actually really great. I think we've covered most things I wanted to talk about. Any final thoughts on either your program and or the process of choosing a residency? You know, the advice that I was given by like everyone that I talked to was, you know, you'll find a program where you kind of look at it and you're like, oh yeah, like this feels right. And I remember at the time as a four, I was like, that's unhelpful. Thank you. But no, I do think that that's actually true. You know, at Brown, I really found that I felt like people truly cared about me, were truly interested in me. You know, they were kind of speaking the same language that I was. And while, again, you know, I've, I've been in the shoes of the people applying this year, and I know that it's somewhat unhelpful advice, but I really do think you will find that place that feels like home. And I think you got to kind of go with your gut on that one. What other things do I want to say about Brown? It's great. I think I couldn't be happier. I think that the real strong point of our program is how operatively busy we are. I think that, you know, our goal of our residents, our attendings, you know, every member of the faculty is to turn out really competent, really safe, and varied plastic surgeons. I think that that's a really big deal for us. And I think that, you know, there are support for research, there are support for anything that you want to do. But if you're interested in being like a truly operative plastic surgeon, I don't know if there's a better place. The final shout out I want to give is I think that throughout the country, I think that diversity and inclusion is starting to um, have a more active role in kind of what we talk about. But I think that that's something that's really coming to the forefront here at Brown. I think that that's really exciting to be a part of it. So I guess I should give a little bit of background. The general surgery department in general is starting a diversity and inclusion action plan. The plastic surgery department has been at the forefront of leading that charge. And that's something I'm really excited about. I feel really strongly that diversity is something that really lifts all ships. I think everybody benefits. So it's really exciting for me to be involved in that. And then it's another layer that it's so, so exciting to me and so important to me that my department not even has my back, but is really leading and I'm only there helping. So I think that that's just huge. That's fantastic. 
I know it might be in its early stages, but what are some of the things that have already been discussed or some of the goals that the institution and or the department are working towards? So kind of like you said, we're kind of a little bit more on the inception stage. I think it's actually next week we have one of our first grand round speakers talking about the topic of diversity and inclusion, which I'm really excited about. So I think kind of stage one is just trying to help people within the department, outside of the department and the institution as a whole to understand why diversity is important with the goal of increasing representation of underrepresented minorities, you know, be it race, gender, sexual orientation, whatever it might be within our department and institution as a whole. So we're, we're really only getting it off the ground right now, but it is ramping up quickly, which I'm pretty thrilled about. And how can interested applicants find out more about your program? I was ready for this question. So we have a brand spanking new website. If you Google Brown Plastic Surgery, it's probably pretty easy to find, but it is plasticsurgery.med.brown.edu. I think that that's a pretty good place to go for all the hard facts about our program. And then on a personal side, we have a really fun Instagram. It's at brownprs. Check it out. We do fun things on there. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.